been in this series. We've been uncovering what uh, different faiths believe and uncovering how we can respond to these wonderful people, people that God made, that God loves. And so we've been taking a look at Hinduism, and we've been taking a look at uh, the Islamic faith. And now today we're going to talk about Judaism and uh, how God is working among the Jewish people, how he has been working, how he's working right now. And when I was thinking about this series and who we could bring to teach us, my mind went back to those early days when I was a kid, and I first heard of this ministry called Jews for Jesus. And so I reached out to them, and uh, David Brickner, uh, he's going to be here. And I want you to, uh, to take a look at this insert. It's in your program. And if you have interest regarding this ministry, you want to hear from them, follow up with them, uh, please fill this out and then drop it by the Welcome Center as you leave here today. But David is here. And I'll tell you what, each each, uh, service has been remarkable as he has taught us. And so will you please join me in welcoming David here with us here at MCC. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pastor Phil. It's wonderful to be here. Actually, I was here once before, back in 2001. Some of you might remember I shared about Christ and the Passover. So it's wonderful to be back again. And since I'm Jewish and represent Jews for Jesus, I think it's good that we greet one another with that famous Jewish greeting. Ready? Shalom. All right, I feel at home. Uh, Shalom is a greeting. It's a Hebrew word. It means peace. It also means hello, and it also means goodbye. Some people take that to mean that we Jews don't know whether we're coming or we're going. But it is in the shalom of God, the peace that we find in Jesus that I greet you today. And some of you may have never heard of Jews for Jesus. And so you're thinking, well, for anything I know about Jewish people, maybe except for Carol, you know, they don't believe in Jesus, right? Jews for Jesus is like a contradiction It's like saying vegetarians for meat. (laughs) Whoever heard of Jews for Jesus? Well, if you think about it, way back in the beginning, Jesus himself is Jewish, right? The disciples, Peter, John, and James, they were all Jews. All the writers of the New Testament, with the possible exception of Luke, were Jewish. And Luke was a doctor, so who knows? Back in the beginning, believing in Jesus was a very Jewish thing to do. As a matter of fact, when the first Gentile wanted to believe in him, oh, evaded, we have problems. <laughs> Never before had a Gentile wanted to believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob without first becoming a proselyte or a convert to Judaism. And so in the book of Acts, when Cornelius wanted to believe in our Jewish Messiah, this was something completely different. And you might remember that the, uh, God had to give the apostle Peter three visions before he finally got up enough chutzpah, enough nerve to go to the house of Cornelius where he preached the gospel and the whole family got saved, which was great. But then, remember, Peter had another problem on his hands. He had to go back to his fellow apostles in Jerusalem and explain to them what he had done. And there was such an uproar over this thing, we actually had to hold the first church council, which you can read about in Acts chapter 15. And that first church council was held to resolve this burning question. What to do with the Gentiles for Jesus? And thankfully, God told us it was okay. It was a good thing for Gentiles to be for Jesus. And we got so excited about that good news, we sent you all some of our best missionaries. 
We sent Paul and Silas and Barnabas, and I think they did a pretty terrific job, don't you? After a while, there were a lot more Gentiles for Jesus than Jews for Jesus, but that was okay because we found out it was all part of God's plan right from the beginning to do what Paul says, break down the middle wall of partition, dividing Jews from Gentiles and making us now one together in the body of Christ. So we are one today in him. Amen? Amen. But, you know, praise the Lord. Right. (laughs) Yeah. All right. But, you know, this still remains quite controversial in the Jewish community. A little while ago, a guy came up to me, Jewish guy. He said, how can you be a Jew for Jesus? I said to him, well, Jesus was Jewish, right? He thought a minute. He said, yeah, Jesus was Jewish. But then he converted and became a Catholic. (laughs) And the simple fact remains that the controversy goes all the way back to the first century when Jesus was making claims as to who he was. There were two groups of people involved in leadership in the Jewish community, the Jewish faith community in Judaism. They were the Sadducees who were the priests and had their power base in the temple in Jerusalem, that place where sacrifice for sin was offered, atonement was procured, all of the festivals had very significant things that had to happen in that temple. And then there were the Pharisees, who are the rabbis in the synagogues and today in the temples. And of course, Jesus stood in front of that great temple and he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And, of course, he was speaking at the time of his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Bible tells us, indeed, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil that separated us from the holy place in that temple was rent from top to bottom, and fellowship was established between God and all those who would trust in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Up until that time, there was just a court of the Gentiles. Gentiles could only go so far and no further. But Jesus made a way. He made access for Gentiles and for Jews, for men and for women, all to come into the very presence of the Almighty God. And Jesus also had predicted that as a result of his fulfilling the temple and its sacrifices and its liturgy, that that temple would ultimately be destroyed. And not a generation after he uttered those words, Titus and his Roman legions marched into Jerusalem destroying the city, destroying the temple. And from that day until this very present day, there has been no temple and there has been no priesthood. And so the Judaism that is practiced today is not that which was being practiced in the time of Jesus, which was very temple-centered and priesthood important. Instead, the Pharisees have been really the forebears of what is modern-day Judaism, Orthodox Judaism, based upon law. But here's the problem. The the rabbis tell us there are about 613 commands in the Torah, the five books of Moses. Two-thirds of them require a temple and a priesthood to be fulfilled. And so what we have today in Judaism, traditional or Orthodox Judaism, is really a reformation of the Jewish faith into something that can be practiced now without a temple and without a priesthood. And more than that, 
really only 10% of the 13 million Jews that exist in the world today actually practice Orthodox Judaism. There's another branch which has even more people, Jewish people involved in it, and actually the center of that branch of Judaism is right here in Cincinnati. It's called Reform Judaism, and Hebrew Union College right in Cincinnati is the place where all of the Reformed rabbis are taught and ultimately ordained as a rabbi. And, and the Reformed Jewish movement began in, the, in Europe, actually, during the 1800s, during the, S, the Enlightenment, when Jewish people were able to finally move out of their ghettos, their Jewish enclaves, and participate more fully in society. And much of Reformed Judaism is, is similar in its beliefs to liberal Protestantism, which really began at the same time. And so when you talk to a Jewish person, Person today, if they're reformed, they may not necessarily believe in a God or believe in the scriptures as the word of God. And their practice of the Jewish faith may be much more cultural than it is religious. And there's really only about 30% of the Jewish community in the world today that practices reformed or conservative Judaism, 10%. And so what does that mean? 60% of Jewish people in the world today are really unaffiliated with any specific religious institution. They may go to synagogue once or twice a year. They may observe some of the festivals. But in terms of practicing their faith or really believing in Judaism, it's much more of a cultural expression than it is a religious one. And that's really important to understand because my people, like all people, need the Lord. They really do. And um, up until maybe... Uh, 40 years ago, the idea of Jews believing in Jesus was actually fairly foreign. And if a Jewish person came to believe in Jesus, they were excommunicated. And uh, if someone said to a rabbi, well, why do we not believe in Jesus? The answer would be simply, because you're Jewish. (laughs) And Jews don't believe in Jesus. It was kind of a circular logic. But you see, then something began to happen. Here in this country and in other parts of the world, back in the late 60s and early 70s. Do you remember what was going on in our country at that time? It was what was called the countercultural revolution, the hippie movement, the summer of love out where I live in San Francisco. You remember? And there were a lot of people that were really searching for truth, and many of them were Jewish. And many of them began to find in Jesus, the answer to all of their questions. And so Time Magazine dubbed this movement the Jesus Revolution. And in the midst of that, many of the Jews for Jesus actually became, as a movement, Jewish people who maintained their Jewish identity and in fact wanted their families and their friends and their neighbors and their rabbis to believe in Jesus. And we thought, boy, they know who we are. If they could just see what we could see. And we'd open up to Isaiah 53 or some of the other prophecies from the Hebrew Bible. I remember one of my friends telling me about when he did this to his father. His father reached across the table and closed the Bible and said, this book has come between you and me. I want you to leave my house and never come back. And if you should see me walking down the street someday, I want you to do me the honor of crossing over to the other side 
so I won't have to. So you can see the tension that has developed over the years. Since that time, I'm grateful to say that God has continued to pour out his spirit across the world. Literally tens of thousands of Jewish people now believe in Jesus. And what could be more Jewish than for a Jew to believe in the Messiah of Israel? And so we're seeing now, as Jews for Jesus has grown, we have branches in 14 different countries. And the most exciting place, the place where we're seeing the greatest openness to faith in Jesus among Jews is in the land of Israel. And that's where we have our largest branch. Pastor Phil mentioned that if you'd like to know more about what's going on in Jews for Jesus and what's really happening on the ground, that you can take this card and, and fill it out and turn it in afterwards. And you can take this home, you take me home with you. That's a picture of me. And remember to pray because that's the most important way for you to be involved is through your prayers. But if you fill this card out, drop it at our resource table or somewhere back there, we'd love to send you our newsletter and tell you more about what God is doing to establish what I call God's forever family. You see, God called the Jewish people not because we were so special. In fact, Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 7 says, you're the least of the people. But God established the Jewish people in order to develop a wider family that would include people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And, you know, we still have this innately within ourselves, a desire for unity. Even after the fall, after sin entered the human world and the brokenness that resulted spread people to the four corners of the earth, we tried to come back together. We built a tower, and it was a tower that tried to unite all of the peoples without the one who made us, without God. And so God scattered us from the Tower of Babel. Maybe you were watching the Olympics on Friday night and those opening ceremonies when everybody's marching in with their flags. There's something dynamic and powerful and exciting about the fact that even though we're different, we can have unity. And yet without God, that unity is bound to fail. And we've seen in history, we've seen the brokenness of our world all around us. And we have experienced that brokenness and that alienation as Jews for Jesus. I can still remember when the Northern California Board of Rabbis issued an edict that any Jew who were to believe in Jesus would be excommunicated from the family, not welcomed into the synagogue, and refused burial in a Jewish cemetery. But we discovered that we have, even in that break, a wonderful, wider family of God that brings us together. The Apostle Paul understood that reality. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling elders in the Jewish community. He had fame, he had prominence, and yet he said, I considered it all as nothing for the sake of the gospel. And he got so excited because he saw this picture that God was making a new family possible for him that included every people. And in Ephesians chapter 2, he calls this something that was a mystery that was not known in the Older Testament, but is now known the one new man. And in fact, he gets so excited about it, he, um, he spills out what was actually the longest run-on sentence 
in the Bible. Paul is given to run-on sentences. And you know when you say run-on sentences, it's not because you forgot your vocabulary, it's because, or your grammar, it's because you're excited. And Paul here is excited about what he's seeing. And he talks about this, and he says this. He says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Now, if you don't know what Gentile means, it comes from the Hebrew word goyim, which just basically means nations. Anyone other than Israel is a Gentile. It's not a derogatory term at all. But that the fact is that God intended in choosing the Jewish people, in choosing Israel to actually establish a unity between all peoples based in him, based in his love. This We are heirs together, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And in fact, Paul goes on to tell us that we have a lineage that is similar How many of you have gone on to Ancestry.com? You know, people pay good money to find out who their grandparents and their great-grandparents and where they were from. And we all have an interest in that. Well, Paul tells us here, there's an aspect of lineage. You're not going to get it on Ancestry.com, but it's the most significant dynamic of your genealogy. God's intent was that now, through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, this is so exciting that people in the heavenlies get to see it. And it comes about this way, through Abraham. The Bible tells us that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, Male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is an amazing reality that you're not going to find on Ancestry.com. Sometimes people come up to me and they say, David, you know, I wish I was Jewish too. And I say, well, you know, you have a Jew living in your heart. And you may not be physically descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but if you believe in Jesus, you're Abraham's seed. We have this wonderful unity that we share together. God brought Abraham and he said, I'm going to bless you. And in you, all the families of the earth will receive a powerful blessing. This is what God's forever family is all about. And, you know, when God makes a promise to us, sometimes we kind of say, all right, when's it coming? And we expect it either the next day or the next week. Well, God made a promise to Abraham and it took 25 years for it to be fulfilled. I'm going to give you a son. And he waited and he waited and he waited. And at the point where he was at his lowest, the deepest discouragement, about ready to give up, there's this beautiful story. God takes him out and puts his arm around him metaphorically. And he says, I want you to look at the stars. Can you see those stars? They mean something. That beautiful picture. And in Genesis 15, this is what he says. Look up at the sky. Count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Just like that. And Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now that has to be one of the most profound and significant statements in all of the Older Testament. Because what Jewish people will tell you if you ask them, are you going to go to heaven? Do you know? The answer will be, well, 
I try my best. I try to be a good person. But what we find in that passage is that it's not a matter of how good you are, because we can never be good enough. It's not a matter of even being born Jewish. That doesn't do it either. What does it? It's what happened with Abraham. Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord accounted unto him as righteousness. That's how we get to be a part of this forever family, is when we believe like Abram did. Have you ever heard that song? You know, maybe you went to camp. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just go like this right hand, Father Abraham, and many sons. Do you ever stop and wonder, what does that mean? Well, God wanted to make all of us, through faith, descendants of Abraham and part of his big forever family. And it's a blessing to be a part of that. And that image that God gave to Abraham there in Genesis 15 of all the stars in the sky went far beyond his physical descendancy. Uh, We have something in Jews for Jesus called Camp Gilgal where we have Jewish kids that go out to camp and they learn about their identity. They also learn about their faith in Jesus. And every night there's something called the tabernacle time where the kids are given a Bible story and told to go and think about it. And one night it was this passage in Genesis 15. And the kids were then invited to go and lay on their back and look up at the stars. It was quiet. (laughs) One of the kids piped up and said, Do the scientists know how many stars there are in the sky? And one of the counselors said, No, the scientists haven't been able to figure that out yet. There was silence. And one other kid said, Well, why don't the scientists just count all the Jews? And maybe that's what Abraham thought that God was saying when he pointed to the stars. There's going to be that many stars. There's only 13 million Jews in the world today. God had a lot more than just the Jewish people in mind when he said that to Abraham. He said, there's going to be people who will have the same saving faith that you had, Abraham. And they're going to be part of your family too. And that's how God, from the very beginning, way back in Genesis, sought to establish this great unity. It is through faith in Abraham's greater son. Yeshua, Hamashiach, Jesus, the Messiah, that we are one together in him. Isn't that great news? And that's news that everybody needs to hear, whether they're from the Muslim faith, from Buddhism, from Judaism, or no faith whatsoever, which is really what most of our country is, wouldn't you agree? Secularism is the religion of the day, and its main sentiment is cynicism, secularism, cynicism, but... The beauty of God's love for us is that it conquers all and puts us all together in the family. And I think there are a few implications I'd like to just leave with you about those truths that are so special. Number one, if God's family is really so significant to us, and I know many of us come from different kinds of family backgrounds, and maybe yours was a broken family, and you carry that burden with you. You can connect with a new family. Even as we Jews for Jesus discovered when we were excommunicated from our Jewish family, there was a bigger family that was rich and deep and wonderful. So you too can connect. We want to connect. And what does that take? It takes simply believing like Abraham did. 
believing in the Lord, trusting in him, trusting that Jesus' sacrifice, his death, burial, and resurrection is sufficient to save you. And when that happens, you get to be a part of this family too and you get all the grace and forgiveness and healing. Connecting, that's what MCC is all about. Opportunities for you to connect with people where you can share life together and experience what true family is all about. Connect and then engage. You know, a lot of times we don't quite realize the difference between the church and the shopping mall. We come here with the same consumerist mindset because that's the culture we live in. It's a kind of a Western individualistic culture that says, what's in it for me? Let's not come to our family with that attitude. Let's come and say, hey, I part, I belong. How can I serve? Because in serving others, in serving our fellow brothers and sisters, we can find the greatest fulfillment in life that there is. Faith in God, family together. Let's connect, let's engage, and then let's shine. Paul is so excited about this dynamic. It was what our brother was talking about in Chipotle. An opportunity to just look for a little bit of a chance to engage, to shine, to give something back of the grace of God, the stars in the sky. You can be part of it too. And he prays for the Philippians with a very special prayer. He says, I pray that you may become blameless and pure children of God. That's that family that we're talking about. Without fault in a warped and crooked generation. We recognize that things are pretty messed up right now, right? But then when we can do this, we can be part of this family. We, you will shine among them like stars in the sky, like That vision that Abraham saw is a reminder to each and every one of us that we're part of a bigger family, part of a bigger picture, part of God's plan for all the ages. And that's the connection between why God called the Jewish people and why he's still calling them back to himself through people like you. You know Jewish people too. And they like Carol and... Others can have their lives changed and touched so that they're walking on clouds and seeing the stars and rejoicing in God's forgiveness. I was back in New York City and I was standing on a street corner handing out gospel tracts with a Jews for Jesus t-shirt on. We either wear Jews for Jesus, sometimes we wear Jesus made me kosher. (laughs) And I was approached by a woman, Jewish woman, well-dressed in her late 60s, early 70s, and she was angry. She began to yell at me and say, you should be ashamed of yourself. How can you do this? Do you know what you're doing? Does your mother know you're doing this? (laughs) And then she spat out words that cut like a knife. She said, you're trying to complete the work that Hitler began. And she rolled up the sleeve of her dress to show me numbers on her arm. You see, Ruth is a survivor of Auschwitz, of the Holocaust. And and I understood her anger. And there was very little that I could say to her that day. So then you'll understand my surprise when several months later, during a Friday evening service at our Jews for Jesus office there in New York, while I was giving the message, who should come through the back door but Ruth? 
And I recognized her right away, but I couldn't quite place where we had met. So after the service, I approached her, and she reminded me where we had met. (laughs) So I said, all right, Ruth, so what are you doing here tonight? She said, I have an open mind. (laughs) And she did. (laughs) Yeah. She kept coming back every Friday night, started coming to our Tuesday night Bible studies. And what a privilege it was for me one Friday night to pray with Ruth to receive Jesus as her Messiah. Hallelujah. How does something like that happen? How is it that somebody who is so bitter and closed to this message comes to the place where they're willing to open up and to receive grace through faith? Well, I'll tell you. It's because that same power The power that raised up Jesus from the grave is active and at work in the world today. And we can see that power transform the lives of people like Carol and Ruth. We are faithful to shine. Let's shine. I want to bless you with the blessing that God gave to the sons of Aaron, the priests of Israel. And he said in number six, bless my people with this blessing and they will be blessed. First in Hebrew, then in English, and then you'll be dismissed. Would you bow your heads, please? Yisah Adonai Panavlecha Vyoseim Lecha Shalom May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Bashem Yeshua Mashikenu Sar Hashalom, in the name of Jesus, our Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Amen. You are dismissed.